Well, we're going to get started. My name is Jason Andrews. Got a chance to meet a lot of you last night. Uh, is my, my, my dear friend in here who went the wrong direction yesterday? There he is right here. My brother, oh, drove from Monterey to Hume, SoCal, which is by Big Bear. Oh, yeah. And then drove up here from Big Bear yesterday. So the fact that he is here and smiling is uh, just... Mm. I'm telling you, uh, my brother, that is, but we gave him a milkshake card, so it's all good. It's just, he's he's going to get a milkshake today. Um, so, um, been living up here at Hume for about four and a half years. I came from, uh, did local church ministry down in Southern California from 95 till 2017 at the same church in Chino Hills. Um, did a youth ministry for the bulk of those years, and then Kept getting those, those ministry promotions, which is like double the responsibility, no extra pay, triple the responsibility, no extra pay, uh, and then moved out of the fun building, the student building, over into the adult building and started doing family ministries, which was like a demotion, uh, stopped working with youth. I was one of those guys that you were going to pull me out of the youth room when I was old and crusty, and uh, I started dreading all-nighters, and I realized switch is probably turned off, so I need to start working with adults, and so did family ministry there. Uh, I've been coming up to Hume. I came to Hume in 1989 as a super senior, which is uh, someone who's after their high school senior year, but still wants to hang on for one more year. And I, I came uh, with a church called Calvary Church Santa Ana, down in Santa Ana, uh, with the love of my life, right? Her name was Mary Ann. We'd been dating for two months. And we were going to get married. Uh, it was like, you know, so... And so we came up to Hume, I came up with her church, had no idea what Hume Lake was, but there was like 200 people from their church coming up, so I'm like, that sounds awesome. So I'm sitting with her on the bus, we're holding hands, it's awesome. We're like to uh, Bakersfield, and she's like, could I, could I sit next to Michelle for a little bit? And, I, and I'm like, you can sit next to Michelle all you want. So I move like three rows back, I'm sitting next to some guy I didn't know, and they're whispering the whole time, and I'm like, no clue, right? We get up here, we have dinner, before the opener on the first night of camp, she says, can we talk? And we go over and we sit on this rock outside Ponderosa Chapel that's still there because it'll be there till the end of the end of time. And she breaks up with me before the opener. Uh, and I'm with all these guys that I had, I'm 13th guy in a 12 person cabin, sleeping on the floor in a mattress. I'm like, it's the worst week of my life. I'm like, I'm never coming to this place again. And then God... God loves those challenges, right? And so then in 93, I joined up with a church in Irvine, and where do they take their kids to camp? Hume Lake. And I'm like, that's the rock, right? And, uh, and, and so, uh, and then in 94, I got married to my wife, Tiffany, and uh, didn't come, and then have come every year since then, and just love this place, love living here, and uh, it is a true blessing for our family. We've got two boys a 22-year-old and who just graduated from Biola last year and uh, is working in Rancho Cucamonga. And uh, my younger son, who's 20, just moved out to go live with him. Uh, and so we're empty nesters. We're two weeks in, and it is nuts. Uh, it, like that, those, it's quiet uh, in the house, and it's awesome. I mean, it's, um, <laughs> it's, edit that part out. It's so hard. I miss my... I miss my sons. <laughs> I miss my sons. It's so clean. It's so clean. And, and I have no one else to blame. Like when all the things are gone from the fridge, I'm like, well, I know it wasn't Tiffany, so <laughs> it was me. Uh, anyway, so 
just uh, love being here, love, love what I do, and, and, and uh, love men's retreats. Just, they're so good. So um, let me tell you a little bit where we're going this morning, and it starts with a story about my wife and I, um, and it's been, gosh, it's been like nine years now, but it still feels in many ways like it was yesterday. So a little bit of background on my wife, Tiffany. She lost her mom when she was a freshman in high school to breast cancer, uh, very aggressive. Her mom was diagnosed and gone within 14, 16 months, and um, super difficult time. She just said, see a God, I don't want anything to do with that. Uh, and the Lord brought her back and kind of rebuilt her. And, um, but because of her mom's early diagnosis at a relatively young age and, and Tiffany's uh, you know, chances, so they started doing testing for her when she was a lot you know, younger than most women. And um, she was supposed to have a mammogram in like September of this, like about nine years ago. And there was terrible traffic. This is part of the, the, the cool story of God, what he did. Terrible traffic. She couldn't get to the, the appointment. She called me. She's like, I'm not going to go. And I'm like, you need to go. And I was always the one going like, you've got to go and get tested. Of course, I have never had any testing <laughs> done. But I, I got a 50th birthday present this year, and I get to have a colonoscopy. So <laughs> those are exciting, right? Um, so if I go, I don't know. Uh, so... So she's, she isn't able to reschedule the appointment till, till November, a couple months later, and they say, like, oh, we see this little spot, you know, it's probably nothing, 90-something percent and nothing. And then it's like, let's do another one. They did a different test, and then they're like, let's do one with contrast. And, and, this, and by the time they finished all these testings, we had this appointment in January, and they were like, yeah, you and your husband should come in. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So we go... And it's the cancer. It's, it's the C word, right? And they were like, but it's, at this point, we caught it super early. It's actually called stage zero. It's in situ. It's, you know, you could do this or this. There's a couple small options, but we want to do some more testing. And so they did some more testing and found that she actually has the, the cancer gene, which then like takes the normal percentages of like 8% or 10% chance up to like 45 or, or 50% for these different things. And so um, we... Um, that, that day that we heard that diagnosis, um, we, we drove from there and went to a, a subway uh, down in Fullerton. We had to get some food. We were starving. And uh, we were just like crying in the corner of this booth, just trying to figure out what God is doing. And um, we decided to go pretty aggressive. I won't get into all the details. And um, between that time that she was diagnosed in January and the time that she had the surgery in late February, the cancer had already moved from like basically not an issue to invasive cancer in multiple, multiple places and uh, in the pathways and all this kind of stuff. And so that year was this incredibly difficult year of us begging the Lord for test results to be a certain way, right? And some of you have been there, right? I need the number to be 3.4 or lower or this. And every time that we, we were like praying and our youth group was praying, the church was praying, it was like, no, the answer was no. And it's gonna, be, it's gonna be the worst case scenario as we keep going forward. And so I'll never forget on um, Good Friday of that year and, and in the church, Good Friday and, and is not good. It's a busy weekend, right? And then there's horrible Saturday and then there's super busy Sunday. And, it's, and that's kind of how it goes. It's, it's, and, and that weekend, uh, her hair was falling out in such large chunks that it was like, oh my gosh, we need to do this. So I'm like sobbing shaving her head up in our bathroom and uh, this just really difficult, brutal time. Um, the, the cool part of the story is that after about four or five surgeries that year um, and her five years, she's clear and great. So I want to get that out. I didn't tell that part last time and everyone was like, how's your wife? <laughs> I'm like, she's good. She's good. Um, 
But guys, in the middle of that time, the Lord in his mercy and in his graciousness knit us together as a family and as a couple in a tighter way than we had ever been before. And we were able to see that the prior years to this, he had been shaping and building us in a way that we hadn't really seen or we didn't know for what purpose. And I got to tell you, I came into marriage um, with, with uh, hopes of doing things perfectly as a husband. But my family, my parents loved us well. They took care of us. They provided for us. But there was a, a bit of unhealthiness um, in their, their marriage. And I came in kind of saying, like, I'm not going to do those things that my dad did. I'm going to be different. And I'm going to, my dad was kind of a fleer. So there would be this epic battle. And then he would take off in his work truck and, and, and be gone. And that was his kind of like, you know, you, you've heard of like fight or flight. It was fight than flight. It was just like, go big, blow up, explode, and then he'd take off. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. And, and Tiff and I had talked all about that. But regardless of my intentions, I came into marriage just kind of a jerk. Uh, I treated her like I treated my buddies. Uh, I treated her in ways sometimes like my dad had treated my mom. And uh, God's grace, my dad is incredible now. Like I just, he's the most awesome grandpa and dad and just texted me last night. I'm in the middle of the men's meeting. He's like, want to play cards? We play, we play Pinnacle online. And, uh, and then I'm like, dad, I'm in a men's meeting right now. He's like, oh, sorry, love you. And I just, like hearing my dad say he loves me, is just so cool. And so, again, I want to fill in some of those blanks. But, man, the first few years of marriage, and when I say few, I mean probably 10, were just hard. I was not a good man the way that I was supposed to be uh, called by the Lord. But the Lord, a couple years before cancer hit, had been begin to, to shape us. And it was in the middle of all that and kind of at the end of that time of all the surgeries and difficulties with cancer and the, uh, the chemo and stuff like that, that we began to realize what God had been doing. We began to see the picture of how he had been preparing us. And so I, I know when I say this, and my wife has gotten to share some of these things too, I don't stand up here saying, uh, look at me, look at how hard my life has been. You all need to learn from me because of how difficult. And man, in the scope of things, I've got a healthy wife. My kids are healthy. Some of you could stand up here and we could go one guy after another who could just share how brutal and difficult life has been and it would make mind pale comparisons. So please understand, I'm not trying to come here and say all these difficulties, um, but what I am trying to say is the things that we learn during this time and the things that we see in God's word, I believe are applicable whether your difficulty level is like one out of 10 or whether it's 13 out of 10. Um, these principles from God's word are meant to, I think, give us encouragement and steep us back into scripture and press us into him in a way that is transferable across all difficult times. And I really do believe that. Um, and I don't want to share too many stories because it's being recorded, but we had a guy come up afterwards last week, just broken, and, and he was like, this, 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 and this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is, that is unreal. And he said, I don't even know if God intervenes anymore. I'm just not sure because we've been praying and haven't seen God move in. And so maybe you're in that spot. Maybe you've been in a spot for a lot of years where you're like, God, I need you to move and you need God to do certain things. And I just, I want to tell you that God may or may not intervene. He may or may not choose to step into your difficulty and make your difficulty less difficult. Um, what I do know from scripture is that life is difficult and life is uh, told to us that it will be full of trials and difficulties. And so I think as men, we need to not be praying constantly for God to remove the difficulties from our life, but for God to, 
in the place that he has put us in, that, that how can we be the man that God has called us to be in the midst of this difficult time, embracing the difficult time as a, ma- as a means of growth and as a continued means of sanctification in our lives. And so that's what we're going to try to talk about this morning. Uh, and so I've got uh, four and a half points uh, that we'll, we'll get through and we'll read a bunch of scripture together. Um, let me pray for us. God, I pray this morning that you would help my words to be encouraging to the men here, um, not because they are my own words, but because this is what we see in your word. God, so would you speak through me, give me clarity, and allow these guys to uh, pick up some things that, that will press them deeper into you, will encourage them in their walks and in the difficult times they're in. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we can all agree life is hard, right? I mean, this, the, I mean we, I'm so tired of saying the last two years uh, have been hard, but, but, but that's the reality, right? Uh, many difficult things in life have been exasperated by what this last two years of, of COVID has looked like and, and job loss and family stress. And now we're moving into this whole new world of what, what are things going to look like in 2022? And it's just, it's stressful. I, I get it. And, and as humans, we, uh, and, and especially as guys, we have, we have lots of issues, right? Like we have lots of issues. Um, we can be incredibly selfish at times. And if we're honest, we can uh, take the commands of God and we can um, kind of try to rewrite them for ourselves and change them and craft them in a way that suits us instead of the way that he desired those commands to look in our lives. We don't take the call of God seriously. We, we struggle with sin uh, and that sin drives us from obedience. We can erect false idols in our lives um, that cause us to worship the wrong place, that cause us to live in a way opposite as God desires. And, and I think that all of those things, whether it's selfishness or erecting false idols or, or trying to rewrite the commands of God, God in a way that suits us, all comes down to something that, that I think we all need to hear loudly and clearly, and it's this. You are not the point. You are not the point. Your career, your family, your wife, your kids, your, your, your friends, uh, your desires, the way that you want to see life work, you are not the point. And, and that's a, a kind of a frustrating way to start, but I'm telling you, if you, let me turn this off, sorry about that. Um, if you enter life and circumstances and your daily tasks and responsibilities with this idea that the whole scheme of the world is meant to revolve around you, you are going to live a life of misery and disappointment. That's not what God's word says, that, that his greatest desire is your comfort. <laughs> his greatest desire is your happiness. I mean, how many times have you heard people start a sentence with something like, well, God wouldn't want me to blank. And it's almost always a train wreck statement. It's almost, God wouldn't want me to not be happy. Or God wouldn't want me to, you know, this or that. And again, because we're placing ourselves at the focal point, at the center, it's not about what you think God would want for you. It's about what God actually does want for you, what his scripture says. And so I am not the point, you're not the point, relationships, families, all that kind of stuff, not the point. So, so what is the point? I mean, l- listen to some of these verses. James 4, 13 through 15. We won't turn to all these, we'll turn to some, but James says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to this place or that. And what does he say? Your life is a vapor. <laughs> it's a mist 
Like, how, what are you saying? What do you, what do you think that you're able to accomplish by you setting out your plans and desires? And so we need to remember that, that what God kind of says about us, how he puts us in our place. Psalm 1, uh, 144, what is man, O God, that you should even think about him? He's like a breath. His days are a passing shadow. Or Isaiah 40 again says this, all flesh is like grass. And what happens to the grass? Grass withers and fades away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so this is not meant to knock you down to just being so low, like you're worthless and God doesn't even think about you. But God's trying to put us into the proper context, that we are a passing shadow, we are a vapor, we are a grass that withers and fades away, but it's the Lord that is constantly and consistently elevated in Scripture, not us. Paul, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 17. Um, Paul is in Athens, and he's addressing the people at the Areopagus, and he's saying that, you know, men of Athens, I perceive in every way that you're religious. Like, he's, he's kind of talking to them about their philosophy, and he says, for I passed along, this is in verse 22 of chapter 17 of Acts, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Like he says, I get it. You guys are covering all of your bases. I mean, like, good for you. You're just, you know, you're, you're going from Athena to an unknown God to Jehovah. You know, you're just, you're covering them all just in case. And he says, Let, let's talk about this for a second. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. So you, you missed it here. Let me tell you about this unknown God. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in, human, in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything. I love that. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. I love that. Paul does that a lot. He starts to make a list, and then he just says, you know what, and everything. God is the point. He is the author of life. He is the author of everything that happens in this world. He, well, he's, we'll get to his characteristics in a second. But all throughout Scripture, this rings true, loud and clear, that God is the point and that we are not. I was talking to some students this summer about this and, and uh, had this illustration. Like, does anybody in here growing up, like, you know, some of you wanted to be doctors or firefighters or, or whatever. Anybody want to be movie star, straight up movie star? Like a couple people. Yeah. So straight up movie star, that's your goal. There's been, you know, people like that. And so you, maybe you, you go to acting school and uh, you're, you're, you're bussing tables in Hollywood trying to get your first breakthrough. And finally you get that offer and you're going to be in a movie. And so you go and you film your thing, and then you've got all your friends gathered together, and you splurge on like the 85-inch 12K TV or whatever it is, and the big surround sound, you bring all your friends over, you make these great hors d'oeuvres, and then you watch this movie together, right, that you're the star of. And then you turn around, and you're like, what'd you think? And the guys are like, wait, were, were, you, were you in it? And you're like, <laughs> you're blown away, and you're like, oh, go back. Back to, to minute 42 at 44 seconds and you pause it and you're like, see? And they're like, bro, I don't know. Like, what's going on? You're like, that's my hand. <laughs> I'm holding the coffee cup. Like in the first clip, it was most of my torso. But, you know, but, but still, like, that's me. And you're like all excited. And they're like, 
oh no, he invited us over to see his hand in a movie and thinks that it's important. Like, and I gotta think that there are times in which there are, I, I don't know, I, I have very weird perceptions of heaven, right? I just kind of picture them all sitting around tables laughing at us. Uh, but <laughs> I kind of picture Jesus and the apostles are going like, oh my gosh, that guy, he thinks he's the star. Like, how crazy is that, that a movie extra, whether it's a hand holding a coffee cup or man who walks by in mall, you know, like, and maybe, maybe you get in the credits and you're like shopkeeper number one, right? I mean, but like, it's an unnamed thing. And for that person to have this delusion that they are somehow the star of the film, I think is probably a pretty good analogy of how silly and ridiculous it is for us to see us at the center of what God is doing in this world. And when we go through difficult times, if we see ourselves as the point, then of course, every difficult thing is an affront against us, is an attack against us. It's why am I going through these things? And there's never any focus or ability to take it outside of ourselves or our own suffering and to say, what is God trying to do? When you're the point, life is frustrating because everything that happens is like, like I said, an attack against you. So when I'm driving up the hill and I'm behind a guy pulling a trailer that won't pull over, that is a personal attack against me. Like he is doing it just for the sole purpose. Never mind the fact they're trying to be safe with their family and they're driving the RV and that kind of stuff. That doesn't matter. They're not pulling over. It's an attack against me, right? And I mean, it's, I should separate that out because that's actually gospel truth. Um, but, but right, so, but the things like that, and that's the problem is that when we put ourselves at the center, then we, we have this incorrect perception of what's going on in the world around us. And as Tiffany and I began to study this, and, and, and begin to listen to more really gospel-centered messages and begin to read more and kind of expand our horizons a little bit and, and, and really press into the Lord. I think that was one of the biggest things in this be- the beginning of this journey of cancer is that we're not the point. What God is doing and any suffering that we're gonna be going through has got to be something bigger than what is just going on in our little scope. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's very freeing. It's very freeing to just begin to see, okay, God is doing something. God is orchestrating us, and we are minor players in that role. We are minor players in that movie, but it's not about us. It's about what God is doing. And so keeping God as the center and taking us out of the middle, whether you're going through difficult times or not, is something that we need to do. It's something that Scripture talks to us about over and over again. And then secondly, while we then take ourselves out of the center and put God there, I, and this is just, um, this is so key, you guys. Knowing God, truly knowing him is the key to being able to love and trust him in difficult times. Knowing God, like just having our lives completely wrapped around who he is and what he is doing is the key to being able to actually love and trust him in the midst of difficult times. I, in my church ministry and up here, I meet a lot of people who proclaim the name of Christ, right? So if they're taking the Barna survey or if they're checking into the hospital and it's like religious preference or whatever, they're checking the, the, the Christian box. But there are so many people that while they identify with Christ, they don't truly know him. 
And so then when difficult times come, their lack of knowledge of who God is and what God is trying to do caused them then to either make up things about God that aren't true or hold him to promises that he has never made. And that's a key one. When we hold God to promises he's never made to us, he will, we will then just start to unravel in our perception of who he is because we'll just see him as a God who never gives me what I want. But when we want, the things that we want are not the promises of God. And so we need to get to know who he is. I love what Hume's been doing, doing the last couple summers with our high school students and junior high students is we've been developing two different themes all based around the character of God because what we begin to realize is that students are coming up and they're getting all excited about what camp is going on and they're maybe learning about Paul or they're learning about you know, Abraham or different characters throughout the Bible, but they don't truly know who God is. And so for the last two years, we've been camping on the, characters, the characteristics and qualities of God so that students can begin to understand really who God is. That's at the key. And we, we talk about all these different things, omnipresence, transcendence, he's infinite, he's truth, he's love. I want to look at just three things real quick about God's character. The character of God could be an easily like a five-month series. Uh, we don't have that long. We've got like half an hour. So um, first, he's eternal. So God is eternal, which means he's always been, he always will be. I mean, that's just, it's mind-blowing if you try to think about it. I remember in my elementary school, um, I just one of my most distinct memories of my elementary school is you'd walk in, you'd, you'd come into this hallway, girls were to the left, guys were to the right, you'd walk in, and there was three sinks on this side, three sinks on that side, and then there was the urinals and the stalls in the back, and each row of sinks had a mirror above them, and they were directly like perpendicular to each other. So if you looked in the one, it would bounce back, bounce back, bounce back, but because there was some sort of flaw in the mirror at some point, this mirror tunnel would start to eventually kind of curve and you'd keep seeing reflections and reflections and then it would get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, but it would go on what seemed like forever. And that was my view of eternity. That was the only thing that I could use to get my mind around forever, that word forever, that God has existed and will exist forever. I just, I can't, I can't get my mind around the fact that for infinity, infinity before creation, God existed and that we will be with him in heaven for infinity amount of years, and that if we're there for a million years, um, it just is getting started. And even by the words getting started, you can't even use those because something that has a start has a finish. Like we, God is eternal, which means that his nature is without beginning or end, which means that his characteristics and his attributes have always existed and always will. Psalm 90, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had framed the earth, the, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. A thousand years are like a watch in the, in the night. I mean, in that, even that, if you, like, well, I can do math. A watch is like four to six hours, and, you know, four to six is to a thousand as, you know, they, no, forget the math. It's an illustration to say our lives are just, you can't, even, you can't even measure them at all because there's no measurement in eternity. So God being eternal, his plans, his attributes have always existed, which means that when he deals with us, he has eternity in mind. Now that is a, a hard thing to kind of grasp. And, and I know where this sometimes leads us because then we say, okay, so God is doing something bigger than what I can see which hopefully as Christians we know that when we go through difficult times that God is up to something bigger than we can see or understand. But don't we always still want the answer? 
I mean, that's, it's hard for us because then we'll say like, okay, God, I get it. So I'm going through difficult times. I can't wait to see, you know, what you're doing in this. I lost my job and, and now I can't wait for the next new awesome job. You know, like what? Oh, guys, it doesn't, it doesn't always work that way. There are things and difficulties in our life that this side of heaven, we will never see the reasons for. I wish I could say we, 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 we could. I wish that I could say that every senseless shooting, like then we're able to immediately see, well, this person was killed, it was tragic, but then a thousand people came to Christ because of it. Like it doesn't always work that way. We have to remember that God in his eternality exists in a, a level far beyond our human understanding. And sometimes there are times when he will let us in to what he's doing. He will give us a vision and an idea of the direction and the plan of what he's doing. But so much of that time, we have to sit in that mystery. And I wish I could give you a, a, a better answer that's got like a formulaic thing of how to understand what God is doing all the time. It, I mean, you tell me, if you got that, write it down. Uh, it just doesn't typically work that way. But we are only able to live in that mystery if we truly get to know who God is. So, so let me talk about that. So, so God is not only eternal, uh, he is omnipotent, which means whatever plans he has, he has the power to carry them out. He has the power to carry them out. He is omnipotent. He can do anything he wants whenever he wants. Now, omnipotence alone, though, without this third trait, it would be like... Um, Let's say I raised a bunch of small little chicks, you know, like, and, and I've got this bin full of all these little tiny chickens and they're cute and fluffy and all that kind of stuff. In their eyes, I'm stinking omnipotent. Like I can do whatever I want. And I really, I, I could, in a sense, I could, I could pick them up, I could cuddle them, I could, I could crush them in my hands and be like some sort of monster. I could step on them, I could, you know, like grow them up and, and raise them up awesomely or I could be abusive to them. But while in their eyes I might be omnipotent, the reality is I really couldn't do whatever I want, right? Because in society, I'd be like a monster. <laughs> I, I'd be like, they'd, they'd lock me up and put me in an institution or whatever because I, I don't really have the ability to uh, do whatever I want, even though in their eyes, I might be omnipotent. But God is not just omnipotent. He is sovereign. And sovereign is when uh, an, uh, someone with great power also has the authority to exercise that power in a way uh, that no one can really question. And so um, let, me, let me say it like this. I'll say it like scripture does in Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens and he does as he pleases. I mean, that is a tough verse. That is a tough verse that God is in the heaven and he can do whatever he wants. Now, my wife is going away this weekend for her 30th high school uh, reunion. And so uh, there's going to be some time this afternoon or tonight or tomorrow where I'm in my house, I'm alone, and like, I can do whatever I want. No, I can't. <laughs> no, I can't. I mean, I, could, I can choose to, you know, maybe eat different foods or go to bed whenever I want or spend too much time on my iPad or, you know, like w whatever. I, but I don't have the ability to do whatever I want. No one has the ability to do whatever they want. But God, being wholly different from us, is able to do whatever he wants and, and pleases. And this theme is seen all throughout scripture. Jeremiah 18 uh, is a great story that I've gotten a chance to camp in over the years. It's the story of God um, telling the prophet Jeremiah to go down to the house of the potter. 
And so Jeremiah is tasked by God to give incredibly bad news to the people, right? I mean, it's just, it's judgment and destruction and, and Jeremiah, not a life you'd ever want to live. Let me just tell you that. And so he's kind of struggling with that a little bit. And God's like, you know what? Let me, let me help you out. So go down to the house of the potter. So Jeremiah goes down to the house of the potter and he witnesses the potter taking the clay, throwing it on the wheel and starts to do that awesome kind of pumping thing. And then it's like, like that's just so cool. And he makes it into a, some sort of vessel, a pot or whatever. And then it stops spinning and he goes, meh, no, it's not how I want it to look. You know, it's, it's a little lumpy. It's a little sideways. It's a little this, a little that. And the potter just goes, and balls it back up again throws it back on the wheel, and makes it into something completely different. And Jeremiah's like, cool story. Awesome. Thanks, God. And God's like, let me tell you what this means. I can do whatever I want. I can tell a nation that they're bound for judgment and destruction, and if they turn, then I'll heap upon them blessings. And if I tell another nation that they're set for blessings and they say, forget you, God, then I can do whatever I, I can choose to destroy them if I want. You're, Jeremiah, you're the clay. The people of the world are the clay. I am the potter. Paul talks about this in Romans. And he, 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 uh, if, if you have your, your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me. Well, actually, let's, sorry, just for time, let's not. But, but Paul is, is, is saying the same thing. He goes, we are clay in the hands of the potter. We are clay in the hands of the potter. And how ridiculous would it be for the clay to rise up against the potter and say, no, make me this way, or no, make me this way. Anybody play with Play-Doh when they were younger, right? Anybody eat Play-Doh when you were younger? Yeah, you got to try that. It's very salty. Um, never once in my years of playing with Play-Doh did the Play-Doh ever talk back to me. Like, that's like horror movie type stuff. Uh, and when I, when I did the unthinkable and would mix colors, right, or put it in the thing where you squish it down and it comes out like spaghetti, it never said ouch, it never complained. I was the Lord, uh, like total dominion, right, over the Play-Doh. Now, guys, I, I, I don't like this illustration. <laughs> I do not like being referred to as clay, I do not like a lack of control over my own life. I don't like the fact that God is doing these things and shaping me according to his pleasures and his will with pretty much very little consideration for what I want, right? But that's the illustration in scripture. That's what we're left with. And so from that, that can either be terrifying and I'm honestly a stumbling block for a lot of people to come to faith. Because they do not like the idea of yielding their life to someone that they don't fully understand, maybe don't totally trust, don't really love, and then when I'm just supposed to just let myself be on the potter's wheel and he just does whatever he wants, it's terrifying unless you know who God is. And so I came home from church one day, and those of you who work in church ministry, you know that Sundays can be, they can be long days. And this was an especially long day. It had an early start, and then I had meetings after church and came home, and I was totally hangry, like just had not eaten. It was already 1.30 or 2 o'clock, and I'm coming home. And I park my car in the garage. I open up the door into our living room area, and our golden retriever, Abby, bless her soul, had destroyed the trash can and everything in it, full, full, full trash can. I'm talking like cut meat, like raw meat from the night before, eggs, everything, just 
all over the living room floor and carpet, just everywhere. And my wife was home. Tiffany was home upstairs, and the boys were upstairs. And I came in, and my first thought was, I cannot believe she left this for me. I cannot believe the audacity of her, knowing that I've been serving the Lord all morning long, haven't had lunch, have meetings, and she's upstairs, probably like watching TV, eating ice cream, like, right, I'm just making these things up, right? And I'm instantly ball of rage, just ball of rage. And I go, I walk in the door, and there's the dog, right, the stupid dog, <laughs> just like <laughs> sick on her stomach on the ground, you know? And I go, Tiffany! And then the Lord spoke to me, <laughs> just one of those quick little, why don't you shut up? <laughs> and I thought for a second, and this all happened in like, a, a, like half a second, does that match the character of my wife? Is that reflective of who she is? We've been married 20 years at that point. Is that the kind of person you married? Is that her character? That she would see this and go, Jason will take care of it, and just walk upstairs, right? There's no way that she would do that. And all processing in my head in this just couple seconds before I said the next words, the Lord reminded me of the character of my wife. And instantly, the ball of rage was directed only towards the dog um, <laughs> and not my wife. And then I was like, you won't believe what Abby did, right? And she came down, the boys came down, we all cleaned it up, and it was this big thing. But you guys, in the same way, if we don't know the character of God, if we don't know the beauty of his attributes, if we haven't dove into the depths of scripture to understand who our Lord is and his qualities of love and mercy and justice and his righteousness and his care for us and that he is a covering over us. He is a banner over us. He is a, a strong tower that he is faithful and a provider we can say that we know those things at like a head knowledge level, but I'm telling you, difficult times, take your head knowledge, wad it up into a ball, and throw it into the trash. If your knowledge of Christ, if your knowledge of the Father is just kind of head knowledge. But if in those difficult times, you have been able to mine the depths of Scripture and press into the Lord, and a difficult thing comes, and your first instinct is, I cannot believe I cannot believe you're making me go through this. I'm the point. You're not the point. I'm the point. And you get all angry, right? And you start marching around and it's like, and this and my wife is doing this and my kids are this and you, you promised me life would be easy. You promised me that I would never go through different. You promised me that, that if I was sick, all I would have to do is pray and I'd be healed like that. And you said this and you said this and all these promises that God has never made to us. If we don't know who he is, then this illustration of the potter is terrifying. It makes us angry and it pushes us from him. But if we know who he is, then this idea of the potter is beautiful. 
It is beautiful. Because whose hands would you want to be in rather than the Lord's? And, and so you guys, we, we could even just stop right here. There, there's more I want to say, and I'll go through them a lot quicker than this. But this is so key. Because men, you may be in a place today where you are like, man, everything you're saying is resonating, and that's exactly what I've been doing. And I know that my only hope and my only strength is going to be in a deepening knowledge of the Lord. And you're, you're on that journey. No one has arrived. No one. You don't get to arrive at the destination of complete knowledge of God. It doesn't happen. But I'm, gro- I'm growing in that area. And others of you are like, man, what you're saying right now, I feel it. I do not like the hands of God on my life. That just creeps me out, makes me feel like I'm not in control. <laughs> you're not. But I, 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 I promise you, I promise you, as you get to know the Lord more, and as you get to, 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 to understand more about his character and his love and his, his attributes that are for you, like even just John 10.10, 10, a lot of you know this, the thief, Jesus says, comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life to the fullest or more abundantly. That's what God says about himself that our life will not just be a normal, mediocre type of life, but life to the fullest more abundantly. Turn with me to Psalm 145. I want you to listen to what the psalmist says about the character of God. Psalm 145, we'll look at verse one. I mean, we see this in Psalm 100, Psalm 107, Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Listen what David says in 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Okay, so you're like, okay, great. David's an awesome guy. <laughs> David, David's going to praise the Lord all the time. But why? Listen. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. That's a God that I am really good with being in charge. I, I, I struggle. Don't, don't get me wrong, and we'll talk about that in a second. But this is not meant to be easy, because certainly having someone else have control over your life and giving up that control like you ever had it in the first place. But giving up that control and, and willingly submitting to this is difficult. But the God who is in charge is good and merciful and loving to all generations from eternity past to eternity future. He has always been this way and he doesn't change. And so we need to remember this. There will be times that we don't feel this in the moment. There will be times when our feelings will betray us and we'll be like, oh God, this is, he's, he's lost it. 
He's lost it. The world's spinning out of control. My life has moved off the, you know, the outside of his domain. It's not true. God's love and mercy abounds for us. And what he desires for us is life to the fullest. And so we need to kind of try to grab a, a, just a, a smidgen of that as much as we can understand that when God moves and works with us, he does so with eternity in mind. Third, true joy is found in Christ, not in circumstances or blessings. So you're not the point We need to know him so that we can begin to love and trust him. And then we have to remember that true joy is not found in our circumstances or in blessings that might be around the corner. I I love this truth because it means that what uh, is the source of my greatest joy cannot be taken from me no matter what life brings. Because if true joy was found in our circumstances or in our blessings that might come down the road, then that can be all taken away. Right? Our circumstances can change. They can go completely sideways. Things can go so different than we thought they'd go. And if that's where our true joy is found, then yeah. I mean, pretty much anyone in your life could take away your true joy by changing your circumstances. But our joy is not found in those things. It is found in what we see in Scripture that Psalm 1611, the, in his presence, there is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures evermore. I mean, think about that. The fact that what... Christ has given us on the cross is enough for us and that we need to look no further than the cross to see what he has done for us. It's, it, it's, turn to 1 Peter. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter 1 through 7. I think we're going to run out of time here, but I think we'll be, we'll be okay. 1 Peter 1 through 7. If you're a believer in here, and, and by a believer, I, I, I really don't like that term. If you've submitted your life to Christ and you've accepted his gift of salvation and, and recognize that what happened on the cross is that Christ takes our filthiness and takes our unrighteousness and then in this greatest, most unfair exchange ever has given us his righteousness and life through him and taken our sins and tossed them aside. Well, actually, not tossed them aside, but took them on himself and bore the weight of our sin. If that's you, then this is what's true about you, what you've been given in Christ. Listen to what Peter says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Just just that alone. Look at what it's saying. We are provided for and guarded by the Lord who gives us this imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance kept in heaven. And then verse 6, and so in this we rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the difficulties of our lives are not meant to surprise us. It's actually what's recorded in scripture that we should be expecting in life but it's always put into context. 
It's never just like life sucks, it's going to be hard, good luck. It's look what Christ has done. Though now for a little while, you're going to go through trials of various kinds. And those trials can take on many, many, many shapes. As many men as there are in this room are the variety of trials that we may encounter in our lives. Some of those trials brought on by our own personal sin. Some of those trials brought on by the sins of others against us. Some of those trials because the world is broken and longing for the creator to return and to make things right. Like our world is broken. Newsflash, right? Newsflash. But all of those things are seen within the context of what Christ has done for us. And that's what we've been given by Christ. He is our prize. He is our prize. Our true joy is found in this. The beauty of the gospel is that you get Christ. He gets our sin and God's wrath. And we get Christ and his righteousness. The gospel isn't that we get God and then he makes our circumstances easy. That's not the gospel. You may hear that every once in a while on some cable channels, but that's not the gospel, that life gets easier and you get more money and everything gets better. He becomes enough for us in the midst of any trial, and we are forgetful people, so we need to preach this to ourselves regularly. We have hope, not because something better might be coming around the corner. That's not why we hope or why we have joy or why we show contentment. Because we know that any moment, God's going to flip the script and he's going to bring something great around the corner. That's not the message of the gospel. It's that we get him. Hope has a name. It's Christ. And he's better. He's better than anything. He's better than any of our circumstances uh, that we might be going through. He's better than any promise of a new job. He's better than a promise of a restored marriage. He's better than a promise of our kids growing up to, to be respectful human beings, right? Even though... We have difficulties with them now. He's better than anything. You fill in the blank. We don't hope because we hope for something better around the corner. We hope because we have him. True joy is not found in our circumstances or in blessings that might come around the corner. They're found in him and him alone. So we, we understand that we're not the point. We get ourselves out of the center of our focus. We We see that a deepening knowledge of God will unlock an ability to know and trust him in the midst of difficult times, despite answers that we may never get, right? Despite answers that we may never get. And that our true joy is not found in our blessing or our circumstances, but in him and him alone. Fourth, and uh, we'll land the plane here in just a second. Every circumstance in life, every circumstance in life can be an opportunity for worship. And, and I, I'll tell you, there was um, several moments in the midst of our cancer journey. And um, my wife, of course, bearing the bulk of all this and me trying to work with our sons as we were going through this. And they would come in and see mom and they, they couldn't hug her. And she had different things attached to her in different places that humans shouldn't have things attached to their bodies. And, and it was just like this, this strong woman who has become so frail and what's next to her is a box of cards full of scripture verses that she would just go through all day long, going through verses that other women had written for her of encouragement and prayers and just going through this time and realizing for the first time, and, and, and I credit my wife for this because I didn't have this in me, 
I remember after we had had several appointments and we kind of knew, oh my, what these next months are going to hold. She said, you know, Jay, we've had the opportunity to live our lives publicly in front of a church and youth group for these last couple decades. And now we get the opportunity to do that in the midst of truly difficult times. And I'm like, that sucks. Like, you just, once you, once you zip it, like, but it was so, it was so true that we then got to see that the Lord was in a very good and loving way, giving us an opportunity for growth and for ministry and for my wife to be able to, for the next several years, minister to women with cancer and to talk through other women in our church going through the same exact thing and to get to cry with them the first day they tried their wigs on and to mourn with them as they went to chemo and to drive them to appointments um, and for me to be able to get to teach our youth ministry about the sovereignty of God in the middle of difficult times as opposed to just having a head knowledge, but you really have never gone through anything like this, it was a gift and it was an, it was an opportunity to worship. Now, when I say that, um, I don't do that all the time. <laughs> I mean, let me just be super clear with you. 30 minutes after we received this cancer diagnosis, I was not a worshiper not a chance in the world. When I get into it with one of my boys and I hang up the phone or now that they're out of the house, it's hanging up the phone. But, or it's like walking out of the room and going, just this, I am not worshiping, okay? Um, when, when difficult times come here at Hume or when the smoke comes in and we have to cancel retreats, I'm not worshiping. That's not my first go-to move. So please understand that. But the further I get away from events, the more I realize and the more I have regret that my first response was to go to the flesh and not the spirit. Because I, I see now more clearly that all of these things are opportunities for worship. Again, why? Because the blessings of the Lord aren't about our circumstances. The blessings of the Lord are the consistency of his character and his goodness and his righteousness and his mercy and his love and his justice despite our circumstances. And so in the middle of all these things that start to go wrong, God is still able to be worshiped and still is uh, demanding in a sense of our worship if we get the perspective right. So Job is a great example of this. Um, if you know the story of Job, uh, Job was a man who um, the Lord allowed to be sifted in a sense. The devil came to the Lord and said, Job's a pretty good guy, isn't he? And God's like, yeah, he's a pretty good guy. The devil's like, yeah, good guy, good, solid guy. But, well, because you've given him all this stuff. Like, that's why he's great, right? I mean, like, and God's like, you know, where are you going with this? And Satan's like, I bet if you took all that stuff away, Job would just be like, I'm out. See you, God, I'm done. And God's like, go for it. And this is the message version. Um, so I'm translating a little bit here. Um, and so the story goes that one thing after another begins to happen. He begins to, a uh, servant comes back and says, you know, uh, the, the enemies came. They took all the livestock. They killed them all. And I'm the only one that escaped. And then another servant comes. And it's like while each servant is speaking, the next one comes. The next one comes. And then they came and they destroyed all this. And then this great wind came uh, and, and collapsed the building where all your sons and daughters and their families were hanging out. And they're all dead. And I'm the only one that, that survived. It's just like blow after blow after blow after blow. Job's world systematically in a matter of minutes 
just completely falls apart. And it says that Job got on the ground, tore his clothes, and worshiped. And worshiped. Now, please don't get this wrong. I do not believe this was like a immediate, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. I mean, worship and grief go hand in hand. And as we cry out against the Lord and, and are like, why are you doing this? Gosh, what's going on? Very much like David in the Psalms where he's kind of almost a little bipolar. He goes back and forth between like, what the heck, God? I love you so much. But and this and this. Grief and worship go hand in hand. And we need to see that and understand that we can be broken and hurting. And, and in a sense going, what is going on? God, what are you doing but I know you're good and you are worthy of my praise. But why does this have to be so difficult? And why this and this? And... But you are in control. You're good. And your potter's hands don't make mistakes and you are doing something in my life that I don't like. But I know you love me. And this, and, and in the midst of our grief and difficulty, we can worship God. Not because we've got all the answers and not because God has said like, no, 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 Jason, stop, 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 stop talking. You're going through this because tomorrow I'm gonna do this. And then the next day this and all this and then four months from now, your life's gonna be awesome again. Like, oh, okay, God, now I'll worship you. That's not how it works. We worship him in the midst of difficult circumstances. The key to this is understanding what we've been talking about. That you take yourself out of the center. When you're at the center, you worship yourself. You worship your desires and your plans and what you think should happen. But when you're out of the center and you get to know who God is and you understand the, the truth about his love and his justice and his mercy and his omnipotence and his sovereignty, and as you, you understand that joy is not found in your circumstances or your blessings, but in him and him alone, then in the midst of these difficult times or grief or, or even just wanting to rage against the Lord, that part of you then sneaks back in. Like when I yelled out Tiffany's name, right, in anger, and I was about to just bust her, and God's like, whoa, hold on, close your mouth. Is that her character? And it's in those moments of grief and sorrow that we're able to then also say, but God, you are in the middle of this, and you are doing something. I'd love for you to show me what it is. But even if not, I will worship you because you are worthy of our worship. James 1, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Because you know the, the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect that you may be complete and lacking in nothing. I love that, that your endurance as you persevere through trials is going to make your faith whole and complete that you may lack nothing. Because who you have is, 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 is more than sufficient for anything that you might be going through. I love Paul in Romans 8, 38 and 39. Some of you memorized this a long time ago. Uh, maybe you know it as a song. But Paul says, for I am convinced that neither, and then here's one of Paul's lists, right? That neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, there's King James right there, nor nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor, and then this is Paul going like, uh, or any other created thing. Like, let's just stop the list. 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we have that perspective when we know who God is, that nothing is ever going to separate us from his love. And so when we um, walk the lake and the, and the canyon is gorgeous and we're like, look at the sky, look at the snow on the mountains, God, you are so good, you're so creative, you're so awesome, you're so wonderful. Or when we have a moment with our family, with our spouse or parent or son or a friend and it's great fellowship and you walk away and you're like, oh man gosh, God, thank you so much for this. Or when you, you know, whatever, you have a great cinnamon roll or, or it, and you praise the Lord for people who can bake and, and all these different things. It's, but also then I'm struggling with this or I'm hurting because of this. God hasn't changed because your view is different. We worship him in the midst of difficult circumstances because he is good and worthy of our worship. And that puts us into a mindset, a a frame of mind in which we're able to see God through the clouds. We're able to see him in the midst of difficult circumstances. Every opportunity, every circumstance is an opportunity to worship. Let's close. Um, Finally, this is my four and a half point. It's not really a, a huge one, but it makes a lot of sense. The time to prepare for difficult circumstances is most likely not in the midst of difficult circumstances. And so uh, up here, um, we, we get snow, right? And uh, um, as we come up the hill in a snowstorm, God bless the people that want to come to the mountains in the snow, but they have no idea how to put chains on. None. I mean, like the chain box still has the zip tie around the handle because they just picked it up from pet boys hoping to return it if they don't need it, right? And they're up on the side of the road and, and, you, and you, you see them when you drive by. And I, I guess I shouldn't drive by, but you, you see them. And, and there's the, the wife in the car and there's the dude out there and he's got the chains. He's just holding them up going, look at the tire, look at the chains. And we're like, see ya. Or, or they're sliding on the road. They're all over the place. No idea. And so I remember the first time that I was going to be going away, and there was a chance of getting snow up here. And so uh, I took my wife out to the, to the driveway, and we put on chains in the driveway where there was no snow on a dry, warm day. That's when you learn how to put chains on. Like, that's the best case scenario, is that we are prepping for difficult times before they come. Because if you wait to try to apply these till you're in the middle of the muck and the mire, you most likely will go back to some head knowledge things about God that get blown out of the way when things get really hard. And so guys, some, some of you right now, you're like, well, too late. I'm in the middle of it right now. Press into the Lord, get to know him, read his word, get wise counsel from other men who love the Lord, who have gone through difficult times. If you're in a time of relative calm right now, I hate to tell you this, but the storm is coming. It'll look different for every guy, but we are promised in scripture that trials and difficulties will come. And so now is the time to start going, okay, how do I start to put these things into practice? How do I get to know who the Lord is? And as we press into him and read his word and seek him in prayer, many times we will learn things that we don't even know we're learning that seem to have no applicability for that day. Amen, have you ever been there? You've read a passage, you're like, cool passage. Okay. And then six days later, you're like, what was that I read back on Monday? Because I need that today on Saturday. Or you memorize a verse and you're like, okay, this is really cool. And then like years later, you're like, what 
was that verse? It was the perfect verse, right? God's word doesn't always, as we read it, like immediately go into to, to effect that, that very next moment. Sometimes you're reading some random passage and you're like, okay, that's a crazy story from the Old Testament. And then years later, you're like, that's exactly what happened to King Solomon. And that's what the Lord had me read that for those years ago. And so we, we press in and we read not for immediate benefit, like right away, everything's going to be different. But you get to know who he is for the long game of getting to know him so that when difficult times come, we can have a great perspective. So every difficulty in life, men, every difficulty in life is in the hands of the potter. Every difficulty in life. And that is a hard truth. My framework and concept of God puts God in complete sovereignty over every difficult difficulty in this world, which means that I believe, and you may not be in this place, I'm just sharing, I believe that God is completely sovereign and has the ability to start or stop any event happening in our world. Any famine, tornado, hurricane, earthquake in Haiti that killed thousands and thousands of people, 9-11, random shootings, divorce, I believe are all under the sovereignty of God, and he has the full ability to start or stop any of those things. And when God doesn't, it's hard. It's hard. And we have to get to the point where we can live in that mystery of trusting him and knowing that he has eternity in mind. And while this world is broken, and feels very much like it's spinning out of control, and it's like, Jesus, come now. Just come now. While he delays, he is still sovereign over all. And he is in heaven doing as he pleases. And we are never promised in Scripture total clarity on the plans of the Lord. You couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it. We would, you do not want that. But God... But God is, is still in charge and he's still moving and he's still active and I wish I could just understand it all. But if you start to doubt that, look no further than the cross. Look no further than what he has done for us in sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the sacrifice for us on our behalf. He is sovereign over all in every difficulty in life. Every difficulty in life, all of it, all are opportunities to see God work and to give him glory in the midst of it. And so we trust him. We, um, we trust that he is not reckless or finicky or unjust or thrown for a loop by humans who do stupid things and now he's like, oh, what am I gonna do now? Like, right? Last time when I closed, um, a guy came up and said, totally heard what you're saying, uh, but my... My son committed suicide. My other son was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, and my life is like just absolutely falling apart. And again, there was that question of how can God be in, in control? And I wish I could put a nice bow on the end of this seminar and say, well, let me tell you exactly what God is doing in those tragedies. And I just, I, I just prayed with him. And I prayed that he would have a greater understanding of how God moves and how God works. But if he doesn't gain that greater understanding, that he would be able to trust in the Lord in the midst of these times, knowing what we know to be true about God and his character and his love for us. 
and knowing that true joy is found in pressing into him in the midst of these difficult times. And I, guys, that's a terrible way to end a seminar. I feel like I'm just setting you up for more questions, but I just want to be honest with you. There is nothing easy about this. And in the midst of your difficult times, whatever you may be going through, and some of you carrying incredible burdens up here this weekend, I just, I can only tell you what I know to be true from God's word, is that as you get to know him and his character more, your difficulties will not go away, but your ability to love him and trust him will grow and grow each day as you lay those things at the throne of the sovereign God who is in control, who is for you. You're not the point, but he is for you and for your joy. But don't forget he's about his glory, not your ease of life. He loves you. He loves you, and the cross shows that in such an, in such an incredibly beautiful way. And so that's a little bit about what God has shown my wife and I, um, and I, I hope it, it provides some, some help for you guys just real quick. So you're not the point. You're not the point. He is. Know him, unlock that ability to love and trust him. True joy is not found in your circumstances or blessings, but in him and him alone. And every, every difficulty is an opportunity for worship when we get our perspective right. Let's pray. God, I pray for these men uh, who've been so patient to sit here for this time. I, I pray that as they encounter various trials in their lives, they would see this as an opportunity for their faith to be growing. God, for their view of you, for their God perspective to get bigger and bigger as they see you not necessarily deliver them from every difficulty, but as they see you carry them through difficulties, as they see you grow them and mature them in the midst of these difficult times. God, I think of David and his, his God perspective as he slayed the lion and as he slayed the, the bear. And then he saw Goliath and said, yeah, I can take that too. Because he put his trust in you in, the, in difficult times and you, you grew in his mind and his ability to trust you. And then he put that into practice in greater ways and greater ways and greater ways. And he was not a perfect man. And neither is anyone in this room. But Lord, will you help us to grow in our trust of you, our love for you. God, um, we do pray for your mercy. We pray for your goodness. We pray that there are situations in this room that would be resolved for your glory, that we'd get to see those things and give you praise. But even if we don't, and we have to live in that mystery of how you work, um, God, don't let, it, don't let it cloud our perspective of, of who you are and what you're actually trying to do in our lives and of your goodness and your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.